I think we've just got to be a little bit brave and reach out to people who we think, you know, oh, you're doing something interesting or you had something interesting to say on that call and simply drop them a line and say, gosh, it's a funny old world, isn't it? You know, we don't get a chance to have these incidental conversations. And you and I, I might have caught you on the way out of that meeting and said, oh, that was interesting what you said, or you mentioned that you'd read a report. What was that about? Well, I think we just need to then get on the, you know, the messenger or Slack channel or email or LinkedIn, whatever it might be and say, oh, I'd love to hear a bit more about that. Welcome back to the Leaders with Babies podcast. My name is Verena Hefti. I am the CEO and founder of the Social Enterprise Leaders Plus. As you know, the reason I set this podcast up and why I founded our award-winning Social Enterprise Leaders Plus is because I really believe everyone deserves to have access to inspiration and practical support so you can continue to progress your career whilst enjoying your young children. I think that's the absolutely essential if we're thinking about gender equality in senior roles and also if we're thinking about just inclusion of people like us who do have kids and who who don't want to choose between career and kids if this topic generally is of interest then you get involved if you are a very senior leader listening then you should definitely get in touch to be a senior leader mentor or for regular updates about what we do and insights into research then sign up to our newsletter and of course our fellowship program applications are open now so you can head over to leadersplus.org.uk forward slash fellowship to find out more we do have part funded spaces available for people who are in challenging financial circumstances because we really believe that everyone deserves the support that uh, is part of this community So today I am talking to Jessica Chivers. Uh, You might have read one of her books. Uh, She's an author. She is a psychologist. She is a coach and she's the founder of Talent Keeper Specialists. We talk about practical steps to progress your career and especially doing that in a part-time role. Jessica is very interesting because she has all, she has a lot of experience of being in closed rooms with people and listening as a coach what really goes through the minds of an HR leader of a line manager and what really gets someone promoted so her insights are fascinating she tells me in confidence what her most successful coaches have done differently and she is full of practical tips of what you can do within a limited amount of time in order to make sure that you you're getting to the roles with that you want within the environment or or I guess work set up, part-time work set up, whatever it is that you like, that is important to you. So hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to support us, then do please share this podcast with anyone who you think could benefit and definitely sign up to our newsletter online on leadersplus.org.uk. Thank you so much and enjoy today's conversation. Okay, so a very warm welcome, Jessica, to the podcast. Thank you so much for spending the time on this rather gloomy Thursday afternoon to share a bit about your story. Why don't we start with you introducing yourself, who is in your family and what you do for work? Yeah, lovely to be here, Farina. I'm a huge fan of the podcast and the work that you're doing. I think it's 
Absolutely. Fantastic. So I am a coaching psychologist. I'm an author. I'm the founder of the Talent Keeper Specialists. I'm an entrepreneurial spirit. Who's in the family? Well, I have a husband who I've been married to for 16 years. And I have two children, Monty, who's 14, and Artemis, who's 12. They're both now at secondary school. And I have my fur kid, Rocky. Rocky the Whippet, who I just adore. He's my first dog and I just love him to bits. So that's who's in the family. Lovely. And uh, we were just saying before you came on air that you yourself have chosen to go part-time. Can you tell us a bit more about why that was? Yeah. So since having children, I've worked part-time and that was a really conscious choice because I wanted to spread my energy around a range of things. And that part-time has changed a lot over 14 years, you know, from initially working two days a week when Monty was really tiny. And obviously, I was building my own business then. And it was about balancing the cost of childcare with work and etc, cetera, etc. Cetera, to now, part time is sort of four, four and a half days a week, but I can flex it because I work for myself according to things that are going on. And I spent four years as an elected district councillor from 2015 to 2019. So I had to allow a day a week to do that. I felt very strongly about not enough women were in politics. And at one stage, I thought maybe I'd want to become an MP. So I got elected as a district councillor. And so I had Wednesdays that I would focus on my political stuff. And I still keep Wednesdays now as a day where I don't have fixed appointments with clients or coaches or teammates, because it's sort of a bit of a, it's a bit of a catch up day. And it's a bit of a time where I know that I can do other things that I might want to do, have a long walk with the dog, do something for myself. I usually do end up working. I mean, when you love what you do, you do, right? But also my son has some special educational needs. So he's diagnosed with ADHD and has been on the autistic spectrum, high functioning. And there've been definite difficulties that have come along with that and schooling and behavioral issues. So for me, Wednesday's a bit of a if things had gone really badly and there were school meetings that needed to be had, that's the day I can have that and just decompress and pick myself up off the floor if things have been really bad. But touch wood, with, with a bit of maturity and some time away from school with lockdown, we seem to have um, turned a corner on that front. So that's good. Interesting. I've heard from a lot of people recently, actually, who said that Wednesdays they prefer time off if they're working part time. Because exactly what you're saying, it's a day to decompress and then continue again afterwards. And I hadn't looked at it that way. I usually take off either Friday or Monday, depending on which day of the week my partner wants to work. But yeah, I think that I might I might try that mid midweek change of scenery. I think it's a great day. It's a great day. It's the day of the week. If people that were coaching are talking about working less than full time and talk about, you know, which day of the week should I take? I always advocate Wednesday because I think your employer gets more from you when you take that Wednesday off and you refresh and regroup. And I think the family means you don't get to that point of despair and being completely worn out as you might do by Friday. Mm, and you're in the office on Friday, assuming you work in an office, which is when everyone else isn't in the office, which means you can get on with some work. Absolutely. And and also, I'll, I hate to say it, Rina, but you know, that, that presenteeism piece, that thing about, I think, being in the office on a Friday, I think that can speak volumes and you can have access to perhaps some people that you might not ordinarily on a Friday. So I think it's a smart move to be in the office when we do go back to offices on a Friday. Definitely agreed. 
So the reason why we ended up chatting is obviously you and I, I think we are quite aligned minds. You're doing lots of great work. Uh, you've written books on supporting mothers at work. You're supporting mothers individually. But I think one thing that where you and I really connected on is that topic of career progression in part-time roles, which I know is something you are quite passionate about. Why is this something that you care about? Why should we even think about career progression in part-time roles? Oh, that's such a lovely question. Well, let me take you back to 2006 when my son was born. I was working for myself and I live in St Albans in Hertfordshire, about 20 minutes by train outside of London. And it's full of accountants, lawyers, management consultants. You can live here if you have another job, but it's full of people like that. And I met lots of these kind of people doing these jobs when I had Monty. And they were all talking about how they didn't think they'd be able to go back to their job unless they wanted to do it full time. Now, this is 2006, remember, so things have changed, but they haven't changed enough. And I felt really quite angry about this, that here were educated, bright, engaged people who were feeling that because they had given birth and they wanted to work less than full time, that they couldn't do their chosen profession. And I thought, well, I want to write a book about this to educate employers. And the working title would have been Keeping Mum and then some subtitle about, you know, how to hang on to talent and, and how talent can work differently, etc. But the world was not ready to receive that book then. And I don't think I was really the place to write it with a very small child and then, and then another baby. So I wrote my book, Mother's Work, which was about helping people to navigate the return to work after having had children. So it's a blend of research and lots of real people's stories. And for each of those chapters, I went out to the community in St. Albans and other people that were receiving my newsletter and asked them to tell me about their tips, their experiences. And disproportionately, Verena, I got a huge number of solicitors who would tell me their stories. They seemed to be a sector that struggled the most to return to work and work part-time. And I just think it's really silly of employers not to keep hold of people who are saying, I still love my job. I still love our clients. I still love what I do, but I can't do it full-time. That's kind of where it comes from. I hate waste. What do you think about the part-time word itself? So I've actually, I was just in a discussion this week with some very senior people in quite a traditional sector in a big bank and they said to me we really don't like the work part-time because it implies that you're not really engaged which was an interesting comment to make what's your reflection on that well I think part-time is to talking purely about the hours is that you are not 1.0 FTE full-time equivalent so we could talk about being 0.8 or 0.6 or whatever if we're being sort of HRE about it. Yeah, it's unfortunate because it can mean in some people's minds that they think you are part-time committed or part-time curious about developing or and that's just not the case. You can be absolutely committed, absolutely driven, care about your clients but just not be doing it 5 days a week. So I'd be curious to know whether there is a better phrase whether whether the bank had suggested something or whether you yourself have got a different phrase to be honest i don't really care about the word so much in you know in the end i mean i find it a bit sad that there's a strong emotional reaction to the word part-time i completely agree with you that part-time doesn't there is an issue with flexible working and part-time being a form of flexible working being associated with being less ambitious and there's very clear research to show that people think or some people think that mothers who work part-time are less committed than other people who work full-time. So that's something that we need to change. 
And I know that we're both working on changing that. I guess I'm really interested in, because career progression does happen for some people who do work part-time and sometimes it doesn't happen. What do you see being, if you want to progress your career, but keep a part-time role and you want to go senior with a part-time contract, what do you see as the key ingredients? Is there a formula from your experience of coaching clients? I think it depends on your organization and how promotions are given, because in some organizations, it is about doing things beyond the role that you are in. And there are quite, I'm thinking about an asset management firm that we work with, and they've got a very meritocratic system and they've got, it's a very formal promotions process that happens in a yearly cycle. And you need to be able to demonstrate certain things, certain projects or level of projects have been worked on and that you've ticked various boxes. And when I say tick boxes, I don't mean that disparagingly. I mean, you need to be able to show a range of things that you have done and are working on now. And some of that stuff is above and beyond your day job. So if you are working less than full time, and you want to get promoted, I think you need to be very strategic about how you spend your time in order to tick those boxes. I think also the people who I see continue to progress when they're 0.8 or 0.7, whatever they are, if they're not, you know, full time, 1.0 full time equivalent, they are strategic, they're playing the long game. They absolutely know where they want to be in a certain amount of time. So they choose to work on things that are going to help them to be seen by the right people and they're achieving the right things. They're getting the right experience. And this is a really micro point, Verena, but I wonder what you think about this is often I listen to people who are working less than full time talk about how they haven't got time to stay for the after work drinks or go to that early morning breakfast seminar, whatever it is. And I think that's a mistake because you need to be reaching out, meeting people, being involved in things beyond your remit because people have, you've to progress people, you've got to know people and you've got to be making impressions and just be connected to other people in the organization to know what's going on and to, to sniff out opportunities. You know, you can't expect things necessarily to land in your lap. So if you're not talking to people outside of your team and knowing what's important in other departments, you can't con- contribute to those things. And so my advice, so micro tip is always, look, if there is an after work drink or, or an event that you think I haven't got time for, just go for half an hour and think about who will be there and who do you need to talk to for you to get some value from being there and for that that person to get some value, you know, to move your career along or move a project along that you're working on. So you don't have to think in this black and white way of, you know, I'm not going to go to that client dinner or I can't go to those drinks because I've got to get home. Is Can you just do it in a small way? One of our fellows, he was actually a man who's recently come back from Share Friend Leave. He shared with us that he recently realized that he just needed to be a bit more unapologetic and just a bit more selfish with these things. And, and you know, let's face it, there's some very senior people who spend a lot of time on the golf course, depending on the industry. And actually, 
that's not necessarily just getting lots and lots of stuff done. And I think we have to move away from obviously being productive is a good thing and nothing against it, but we have to move away of just trying to get as much volume done as possible. But we need to try to have to prioritize, like you say, those really important conversations. I'm feeling ambivalent actually about these evening events. I mean, now luckily there are not that many evening events anymore, but I'm sure they will come back. And I'm feeling a bit reluctant about it. I do think in terms of networking, actually, it is really worth thinking about how to make it more inclusive because it's not just parents who find it difficult to attend in evenings sometimes. But in the meantime, I would agree with you until we have more inclusive networking, I would say definitely do every now and then prioritize going along to these things if you enjoy them. And also consider setting up your own, basically just invite people to a lunch and learn to discuss topic that you are passionate about, which then helps you to make links across organizations or even across departments within your organization. Absolutely. And it, and it doesn't have to be an after work drink thing, or even sort of a formal networky thing. It's going about your working life, I think, with a curious mindset and wanting to connect with other people. So let's just imagine that you had a one hour lunch and learn session that's on some new legislation that's coming in in your industry. Then if you walk into that room and choose to sit next to somebody that you don't know and you say, you know, hi, I'm, I'm Jessica. I'm from this part of the organization. You know, whereabouts are you from? And then do all of that good interest, being curious, listening, finding out lots about the other person. It's not about you telling them about you unless they ask. And you might think, oh, gosh, that's really interesting. Oh, well, that ties into something that we're trying to do in my part of the organization. And you just find these links, but you've got to go into that environment with this curious, open, connecting mindset. I think that's something that we can all do. Mm, that's very true. And you've just mentioned creating new connections. I've had feedback that many people right now are not making new connections because they go to pre-scheduled Zoom meetings and they're one Zoom meeting with 60 people and you don't really hang out around the water cooler anymore. I think when people come back, if people come back to the office, there might be potentially a risk of a two-class society where some people go back into the office and others stay working from home because they know they can get a lot done and they don't have to commute and they can drop the kids off. If you are in an online world, how do you have these conversations with new people apart from, like you and I, using a podcast as an excuse to have a chat with someone? Well, you know, in that point about this two-tier society, we recognise that in a report that we put out in the summer called Many Happy Returns that's aimed at chief people officers and HR head honchos about things that they needed to be aware of and then some top tips for tackling that. So that's something that people might want to come and have a look at on the websites, the Many Happy Returns report. I do think that individuals have to take some ownership for how they're going to connect. When we, when we can come back to workplaces, I think that spending some time in the office every week is essential. I think it's good for your output. It's good for your relationships. It's good for your career. I would be quite cautionary over continuing to work full time or all your hours from home. And if that is a necessity that you continue to work fully remotely, I think we've just got to be a little bit brave and reach out to people who we think 
you know, oh, you're doing something interesting or you had something interesting to say on that call and simply drop them a line and say, gosh, it's a funny old world, isn't it? You know, we don't get a chance to have these incidental conversations. And you and I, I might have caught you on the way out of that meeting and said, oh, that was interesting what you said. Or you mentioned that you'd read a report. What was that about? Well, I think we just need to then get on the, you know, the messenger or Slack channel or email or LinkedIn, whatever it might be and say, oh, I'd love to hear a bit more about that. Have you literally got 10 or 15 minutes tomorrow to have a virtual cup of tea or, you know, point in the future, have a virtual cup of tea with me. And I think we've just got to do that. We've got to be proactive about making these incidental conversations happen because they're not, the incidental conversations are not going to happen as easily. Yeah, I definitely learned that. Just from a practical perspective, one thing that worked quite well for me, because the incident, I completely agree, it's a good thing to have those conversations, but also no one wants to arrange, if you don't have a PA, you really don't want to arrange lots of 15-minute conversations. So I learned about this tool called Calendly. I'm sure you're using it as well, but I realize many people don't. It works really well for me. So I set it up that you have a 15-minute call function, and all I do is I update my diary, it connects directly to Calendly and I'm sending the link to whoever I want to have a quick chat with and they then book a time that works for them. So there's absolutely zero effort on my part, which is brilliant and I can only recommend. So that actually has helped overcome one of the barriers to having quick informal chats for me. And that's what I love about you, Verena. And every one of your episodes that I listen to, you've always got some lovely practical things to bring to the audience. And and I and I do have a PA who sorts things out, but even still, it's a bit of a pain to be sorting things out for a 15-minute chat. So sometimes if I've, you know, this morning, I thought I had an 11 o'clock call booked in with someone and it turns out it'd been rearranged or something had happened and she emailed me. So I'm really sorry something else has gone in. And I just pinged her an email back and said, look, I'm free at half past 10. Should we chat? This is like 12 minutes time. Yes, great. And so sometimes you can just organize things on the hoof or if you've got someone's number, just give them a ring there and then because if it's, a, if it's an 8, 10, 12 minute chat, sometimes people are happy to entertain you there and then and you know where you go, just like you would if you were walking out of a meeting room. Definitely. I was interviewing someone the other day for a role who was really inspirational and wonderful. We we didn't appoint her in the end uh, for other reasons, but other than that, she was fantastic. And she mentioned to me that she's always picking up the phone to people without having set up a diary invite. And to me, that was like, wow, you're so brave. Do you do that? It depends whether you've got the person's number, but I think if it's something really quick that I think someone would be pleased to help with or that they would want to know or it's going to save time in the long run, then I will absolutely pick up the phone and say, hello, I wondered, this is literally going to be three or four minutes. Have you got time for it now? And then away you go. That's beautiful. That is true. And a lot of people do boring admin stuff on a Friday afternoon. So if you are working, then (laughs) you can definitely catch me while I'm doing very boring accounting system stuff that I always like to be. (laughs) No, we're not going to take you away from that, Verena. That's important stuff. It is very important. Yes, (laughs) and I'm sure my accountant is listening. Will very much agree with you. It is very important to make sure the system is up to date. I don't know how we got into this, but (laughs) there we go. So you obviously were lucky enough to listen in to lots of people's individual thinking and career progression because you're a coach so you really hear whatever what the real is going through their head and what happens in their lives and is there anything that one of your coaches did that really changed the, the game 
for their career progression? Any particular shift one of your coaches have taken in order to progress their careers in a part-time role that has unlocked potential? I think one of the most significant things is about recognising what is going to get you noticed and promoted and saying yes to things that are strategic, meaningful, impactful. Don't be a yes person who just takes on anything that people ask you to do. You've got to think about, does this fit with where I am going? If it does, it's worth putting the time into. I'm a great believer in being helpful to people and I very rarely say no to anything, but that's not to say that I'm not strategic. So, for example, I will often talk to coaches about what I call the soft no or the partial yes. So, same thing. So, somebody might ask you to get involved in something and you think, actually, that's going to be quite time consuming and it's not really taking me, it's not helping me in my my current role. And it's not going to be something that takes me in a direction that I want to go. However, I can see this is important to this individual. I want to be helpful. You might say, well, I can't do that. But what I can do is I can give you half an hour and I'll give you a bit of a brain download on everything that I've learned from that project that could be useful to you. So you're saying, yes, I'll be helpful, but I'm not going to I'm not going to do what you want me to do in its entirety. I'm not going to take that on. I think getting really clear on the things that are going to help you in your career and help the organization is paramount. That's one of the things that I see people do who are successful in, in progressing when they are not working full time. Agreed. And I really think the being helpful trap is an issue. You know, sometimes we just, and especially when someone comes back from maternity or shared parental leave and maybe they're a little bit unsure about what, whether they have still got it and then want to show that they're still committed and are extra helpful and volunteer on everything. And the one thing that I really am trying to tell people you know this whole office housework thing where people volunteer to arrange the meeting or they volunteer to reach out to do something and if you have already been socialized to be helpful and to be that arranger type person you're going to make life harder for yourself by giving into that i'm not saying never do it but i just think we need to give ourselves permission to not be the one who stands up and says, oh yeah, I will do it because it's not going to help you. Yeah. Or be the person that says, oh, tell you what, let me take responsibility for getting it set up so we have a roving chair or, you know, different people take responsibility. Let me help get that system set up. So you're you're making an operational impactful difference rather than you saying, yes, I'll organize that meeting or yes, I'll gather those people together. So think about how you could improve the system, improve things for everybody, but don't go down that admin monkey route for sure that's a great practical tip i love that i think that's very powerful and is there a common mistake that you see people make again and again and again who are looking to progress their careers oh in the context of people who are working less than full-time or more generally i'm interested if, if there is something that you you know a pattern that you see again and again and, and you just wish you could well, you have written a book, I guess, but you know, <laughs> you could wish you could write another book about it. Well, actually, I'm going to loop back to something you said earlier, Verena, which is about expecting that hard work 
will pay off by itself. Okay. And that's a mistake I see people making over and over again is doing something to the very best of their ability, very, very high standards, working on lots of things, thinking, right, this will get me noticed. This is really important. And I will often talk to coaches about, well, well, that's a bit like Apple, the brand, making something really amazing, an amazing bit of technology, but then not investing in marketing. Now, okay, maybe that's a poor example because anything that Apple does would get picked up by osmosis almost anyway. But imagine that you've created this amazing product, but then you don't do any promotion around it. It's not going to sell. Therefore, it's almost been a bit of a waste putting all the effort. And I'm not talking about going and doing icky, horrible self-promotion, bigging yourself up. I'm talking about finding ways to be helpful, to be useful to people and letting people know what you've been working on, what you've learned, how it can help them. So you're sort of socializing your work and, and putting a spotlight on what you've been doing with the aim of, of helping others, helping the organization. You know, if you've developed a great process or made a change in your part of the organization, we should want to socialize that, let people know and say, well, this is, this is what, I, what I did. This is the change that I made. This is who I had to get on board. And this is how it's working now so that you make things better for everyone. And, and obviously, the, the byproduct of that is that people know that you were doing that work, what you've achieved. So I think if you go with the mindset of how will it benefit others for them to know what I've worked on or how I've handled that tricky client or whatever it might be, you're helping others, but you're also helping yourself. I couldn't agree more. That's extremely well formulated. Obviously, the other insight that you have is into what HR departments really think. What surprised you when dealing with HR departments? If you're allowed to say, as they're also your clients. People are very thinly spread, Verena, you know, and that often HR is not as powerful as we might think, you know, that some organizations really give the chief people officer a seat at the table. And that person is really important. And I see HR people who are just, yes, they're respected as practitioners in their own right. But it's a bit like, okay, I'm going to depersonalize it. I'm going to take this into the world of D&I or inclusion and diversity or inclusion and belonging, as I'm increasingly talking about. So that's a role in many organizations that sits within HR often, that is just not given the power and the clout that it should be, you know, and a lot of the time, they don't even hold the purse strings, it's the business. So they're not empowered to make a difference. I think that's one of the things that I feel sad about is that those people are not always given the voice and able to have the impact that they want to have. You're absolutely right. There's so many fantastic people in those functions who go into them because they want to make a difference, but then they're not necessarily in a position to have the power to do that. It's so true what you're saying. What strikes me is quite often, so we work with some line managers, which I think you do too. So as part of our program, one of the sessions is with the line managers and we always bring the line managers together alone so they can say what they really think. And what they usually say is they often say they don't have a clue about how to support parents or formulating it, it more sensitively. They're a bit worried about getting it wrong. They don't know exactly yeah. how to support parents. And very often when I speak to leaders with babies or leaders with young children, they might expect that the line manager has very clear guidance from HR about what good looks like or what it doesn't. 
there's usually a policy. Yes, I agree. There's usually a policy, but that policy is not the same as here's what good looks like. And because of that, we as parents ourselves, we need to give ourselves permission to lead our line managers, to lead our heads of departments in order to help get us the working environment that that we need in order to thrive. We can't wait for HR to do it for us because they don't have necessarily the capacity or sometimes they don't have the power to do it. I agree. And I do think, I do feel the plight of line managers and like you, a key part of our coaching approach. So most of our work is working with people who are coming back from extended leave and our programs have always contained an element of time, either as a workshop or as a one-to-one with the individual's line managers to equip that line manager. And I do feel like a lot rests on line managers' shoulders because we know the single biggest driver of employee commitment is the experience they have with their line manager. And often line managers are someone who is a, a, you know, a fantastic individual contributor who, because of the contribution they make, they get promoted into leadership without necessarily having the desire to lead a team or being equipped to do so. And you can have many different people in a team. Yes, this is a podcast about leaders with babies, but you'll have people in your team who maybe have depression or caring for an elderly relative or just have some other need. I mean, I think it's rare to come across anybody who doesn't have some sort of difficulty or challenge in their life. And to ask line managers to understand how to behave with this group and that group, instead, I think about some guiding principles, which are, let's try and be empathetic. So let's just stand in the shoes of that team member. And let's just try and see the world from his or her perspective. And let's trust that individual that they want to deliver for you, they want to deliver for the team, they want to deliver for the organisation, and just ask them, what do you need from me? How can I best support you in this moment, at this point in your life? And if you go about with that curious, empathetic and trusting approach, no matter who you've got in your team, no matter what their challenges are, I think you'll do well. Mm. Yeah, that's Absolutely, absolutely right. It is difficult sometimes to get to that. And I think as an individual parent who wants to progress your career, you also need to realize that your manager has needs and may need your help to trust them so that they may have a specific way of building trust. And so you, I guess you called it marketing uh, and marketing your iPhone, uh, you sharing proactively about your successes and so on is is really can be really important for some managers, so that they know are oh, you're on it, or if if you know that they like to be on top of the detail, and you send them a bit more detail than they really need, and then they're like, oh yes, she is totally on it. She has all these detailed plans. I don't have to worry about that. And just managing your manager is such an important skill in that. I think totally agree with you, and that's about knowing individual differences and what's going to help that person and help your relationship with that person. Absolutely. I'm interested just thinking about the practicalities of career progression in a part-time role. So if someone is listening to you now and wants to, you know, is maybe working in a middle leadership role and wants to progress to a more senior role, could be that at director level, what do you think are the top three things they should be doing this week if they want to move forward with that? Well, okay, I'll do what a politician does and I'll answer the question that I wish I'd been asked. I'll say something slightly different. I think sort of three things to keep in mind are 
and we've talked about this already, is about be proactive in seeking out, in sniffing out opportunities that are going to help you get where you want to get to. Don't expect things to come to you or wait for a role to be advertised. It's finding opportunities and experiences that will give you what you need in order to comfortably then apply for something when it comes up or you know, navigating your way around the organization and, and getting to know people who then if a job comes up, you know, they might come and talk to you about it. So being proactive, I think is really important. And I think mentoring conversations, so not just having a mentor, but going and having conversations with people who you think, ah, oh, well, I see that they have had a promotion and I know that one stage they worked less than full time how did they do it so going and picking their brain asking to hear about their story is also very helpful and we talked about the extracurricular stuff you know doing things that will bring you into contact with other people and hearing about what they're doing and how you might be able to help them obviously doing that in a strategic way I'm not suggesting that you just go out and have conversations with everybody but being a little bit choosy knowing where you want to go and you know having chats with those kind of people and then you asked for three but I'll just give you a quick fourth one so on our coaching resource site comebackcommunity.co.uk we've got some fantastic articles and videos and audio bites. And we occasionally ask people to write pieces for us who have some experience of a given topic. And an academic called Holly, so she works at a university, wrote a piece for us on career progression when you work part time. And one of the things that she referenced in her piece for us was a book called Busy by Tony Crabb. And she said that really helped her work out you know, what she, how she needed to be a bit more strategic because she was very frustrated that she wasn't making the same progress compared to the, her academic peers who hadn't had children and didn't work part time. So I think part of it is about running your own race and knowing that you're playing the long game. And I do know that statistically you're less likely to progress your career if you're part time. And that is a fact. We don't want to skirt around but I also do know that plenty of people are breaking the mold and are progressing their careers and that it's absolutely possible and it sounds like that book has lots of practical advice on how to do that and actually when we look at career progression more more generally um, there are so many examples and I think we've probably well lots of people who inspire me I've then just roped in to have a podcast interview with so if you look at the, at the list of people that we've interviewed there are plenty of people who work part-time in senior roles who do progress their careers but you know without major issues so definitely keep your hope up so it sounds like you're an absolute font of knowledge on all this can you tell our listeners where people can find out more about you and your work well they can find me on LinkedIn Jessica Chivers Come and have a look at our website, talentkeepers.co.uk. We're also on Instagram and Twitter, at talentkeepers.uk. We put out a fortnightly newsletter, which you can subscribe to via the website, which is aimed at line managers, chief people officers, and also people who are returning to work after a break. And then excitingly, Verena, next year, we are, well, I don't know when this is going out, but in 2021, we are launching a new podcast aimed at squarely at people coming back to work after a break and it's called comeback coach that's going to come out in january and we're also starting a series of free 
monthly themed problem solving events online starting January. It'll be me in conversation with a guest answering questions that people have sent into us on a given theme. So January's is on imposter feelings with the author Caroline Flanagan, who wrote a book called Baby Proof Your Career. And she's got a second book coming out about imposter feelings in successful people of colour. So, you know, come and have a look at our other website, which is our resource site for our clients and coaches. But we've got some free stuff behind uh, in front of the paywall, which is comebackcommunity.co.uk. And if you click on conversations, you'll find information about those events. And we hope people will come because we're on a mission to keep everyone everywhere feeling confident, connected and cared for when they take extended leave, which is why we're making them freely available. Thank you so much, Jessica. Lovely to have this excuse to have a proper conversation with you. I've been following your work for a while, so really nice to meet you virtually. Thank you so much, Verena. It's been a real pleasure to talk and listen to you today. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. If you are looking to join a network of like-minded, ambitious individuals who are parents across sectors, then do head over to leadersplus.org.uk and register interest right now. You can also download the application to the fellowship program. We do have hardship fund spaces available for people who are, for example, not employed or otherwise in financially challenging circumstances. If this podcast has helped you in any way, then do please take a moment to share it with five of your friends. It makes such a difference. And also when I see, you know, that more and more people listen, well, one, I feel happy. And two, yeah, it shows that it's making a difference to people. And obviously I'm doing this in order to make a difference. Yeah. And like with any podcast, if you can press five star review and you know put a review on there then that really does help with the visibility so a big thank you and have a wonderful week until next time